You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It is no longer Super Bowl weekend. We move forward as probably the slowest time for sports. But how are you? I'm going to take advantage of the slower sports weekend by doing non-sports. Sports stuff. Me and my family are tomorrow are actually going to see Hamilton on Broadway. It was a Christmas gift for my parents. We all love the music, the soundtrack. My first time on Broadway, I think in 11 years, Hamilton. A high grossing play, and we're looking forward to it. I've been to Broadway. I've seen a couple of Broadway shows. I've never seen Hamilton, but I'm sure it's a great show. But I'm not a Broadway guy. I'm a sports guy. But a little bit later in the show, he will be talking to Eagles and Phillies Spanish language broadcaster Oscar. Budahan. I'm sure he has his own thoughts with the Super Bowl, and I'm definitely going to get into the Philadelphia Phillies and the special year that they had almost winning a World Series when nobody thought they should have been there after firing Joe Girardi in the middle of the season. So we will get into that with Oscar. We will get into Super Bowl 57. Jets set to meet Derek Carr this weekend. Derek Carr is jumping to different organizations, seeing what they're going to offer him and where his future will lie as the 32 two-year-old is going to be looking for his starting quarterback position elsewhere away from the Raiders. Rich Semini reports that the Jets could shed up to $55 million in cap space. Well, if they want Aaron Rodgers, they want to sign Quinn Williams. It'll be very interesting to see what the Jets do when one of these quarterbacks fall to them. And I believe they'll get one of them. Patrick Kane is willing to waive his no-movement clause for the Rangers or Maple Leafs not interested in coming to the New York Islanders. Boo-hoo. Kevin Durant says Kyrie Irving trade took away the Nets' identity. I was upset we couldn't finish. You were never going to finish. That was a clown show. I think he's got a smile on his face. He's in a better organization with a better coach and a better all-around team. Why would he be complaining? Kyrie Irving's over there in Dallas, and the last time Dallas won was with Jason Kidd as a player. Dirk and a bunch of old guys. Oh, he was an old guy, too. Yes. Knicks go into the All-Star break. 33 in 27 as a number six seed in the Eastern Conference. What could the Knicks do in the second half of the season with only 20 games left? So the Knicks are playing pretty good basketball. They've won three in a row. Josh Hart looks like a great acquisition for him. Him and Jalen Brunson are very good buddies from Villanova. Frankie Montas undergoes shoulder surgery. Will miss the majority of the season. I still think this is the best rotation in baseball, but maybe Frankie Montas wasn't that bad. It was his shoulder. Maybe the Yankees still have something in Frankie Montas. He's still fairly young. Watch out. Maybe he could be a good bullpen piece for them in the playoffs. And Moneyline Mania with Chaz. And yes, Wes is back as he is cashing his money tickets. Cashing his Chiefs tickets. Yeah, let's not get into that. Actually, we should get into that. (laughs) Super Bowl 57 recap. And I've been saying this, and not because Arian Foster said it, that it's scripted. I don't believe the full season is scripted. I do believe that the NFL knows who is making the playoffs, 
who's going to the Super Bowl, and who is going to win the Super Bowl. I had the Eagles winning the game, but I also said if the Eagles don't win, it's not going to be because of lack of talent or Kansas City is better. They were going to lose because of my thoughts that the Eagles were going to dominate the first half. Patrick Mahomes was going to limp off the field, pretending that he was hurt. And then in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, he miraculously could run. He can make every single throw off his back foot. Kansas City comes back going into the fourth quarter. Penalties miraculously started happening at the end of the game. And... Kansas City wins by three. But there's a lot of things that stood out in this Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes is the first player in NFL history to win two Super Bowls and two MVPs his first six seasons. This is Mahomes' first Super Bowl where he did not have a turnover in a game. Only two players had more than three catches and more than 50 yards receiving. Juju Smith-Schuster and Travis Kelsey. Jalen Hurts broke the record for the most rushing yards in the Super Bowl with 70, breaking a record held by Steve McNair at 64. Jalen Hurts tied Steve Young's record of combined 374 yards of scrimmage. Jalen Hurts joins Terrell Davis as the only players in the Super Bowl history with three rushing touchdowns. For anybody to think that Jalen Hurts wasn't a competitor, wasn't an elite quarterback, doesn't deserve to be in the Super Bowl, and for all the Eagle fans We're tossing them to the side because the Eagles have a top 10 pick. Thank you to the Saints. And they were going to bring in Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Jalen Hurts proved himself enough this year that he is the franchise. He is the face of that organization. He is going to be asking for a contract after next year. Sign the kid this offseason. Give him the $50 million because after 2024 with the Amazon contracts that the NFL is going to get, the salary cap is going to shoot up and you're going to have to pay these quarterbacks even more money. The number one priority this offseason is sign Jalen Hurts. But the Super Bowl, there were so many things that stuck out in the game. Was Patrick Mahomes great? He was not. 180 yards, throwing a couple of touchdowns. If you want to sit there and think that that was a great game by Patrick Mahomes, you're dead wrong. This was not one of those games that you could say Patrick Mahomes is an elite quarterback. He's one of the greatest playoff quarterbacks. Even though he was the MVP and he won an MVP, he wasn't the MVP. The game was sloppily played in the first half. I don't know what happened to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles, a top five running team. They couldn't run the ball at all. Jalen Hurts led the team. He had 70 yards. Sanders had a horrible game. Gainwell was the best running back for the Philadelphia Eagles. And how many yards did he have? 21. 21. To a Kansas City Chief team that was ranked 20th in the league in stopping the run. They were horrible. I like Nick Sirianni. I'm not going to take shots at him. Why didn't he run the ball more? He was running to the outside. That is the strength of the Kansas City defense. It's running on the inside, north and south, where Kansas City was one of the worst teams in the NFL at stopping it. They didn't do enough of that this game. The front seven that dominated against the San Francisco 49ers offensive line couldn't do nothing against the Kansas City Chiefs. They couldn't even get one sack on Patrick Mahomes. Hurt ankle, at least that's what we thought it was. No sacks for this dominating defensive line all season long. I do believe, I don't know about scripted, I do think it's fixed. I think the NFL wants to build their brand around Patrick Mahomes. Now Tom Brady is gone. Tom Brady was the brand when Peyton Manning left. It jumps from one quarterback to another quarterback. Every decade, there's a quarterback that stood out. It just so happens the NFL had two quarterbacks that were around for two to three decades. Peyton Manning was there for two. Tom Brady was there for almost three 
And Patrick Mahomes is being compared to Joe Montana now. After five seasons as a starting quarterback, yes, he's won two Super Bowls. He's a fantastic talent. He's got one of the best tight ends in NFL history in Travis Kelsey, who, by the way, doesn't like to shut up at all after they win. This is a good team. They have an all-time great coach who knows how to draft. Is the Kansas City Chiefs the Patriots of this era? Are they the dominant force? Are they the evil empire? Of the NFL. For years, everybody hated the Patriots. Trying to find a way to prove that Bill Belichick was cheating. And he was. But they tried to put the Patriots Super Bowl championships down. Now teams and people are going to try to find reasons why Kansas City is cheating. Or Andy Reid is doing something with schemes that is illegal. This game was a little fishy in the second half. Was the penalty heartbreaking for the Eagles? Absolutely was. And everybody says, they were in field goal range. It doesn't really matter. If that penalty didn't happen, they would have kicked the field goal and it would have gave the Eagles at least a minute and 30 seconds to take the ball down the field to try to tie the game or win the game with Jalen Hurts. Yeah, there's a massive difference between flaring it up at the end of the game a Hail Mary, which Jalen Hurts, he has a good arm, but he's not necessarily known for like a massive cannon arm strength and getting a minute 30 seconds with one timeout to lead a field goal drive it's the same kind of thing with the Saints and the Rams NFC championship game that whole non-penalty because the Saints would have had first and goal the Rams only had one timeout and the Rams would have either had to let them score like the Eagles tried to do after the fact Jarek McKinnon made a very smart play and slid in bounds to make sure he didn't score the Rams would have either let them score or use the timeout and the Saints would have been able to run the clock down same kind of thing with the Chiefs and the Eagles the Chiefs did exactly that knelt twice and they were able to run the clock all the way down to 11 seconds so sometimes it's just some Unfortunate with these penalties. The NFL rulebook is very soft for defensive players as it is. Was it a penalty? Yes, he was tugging the jersey, but defensive backs don't get a lot of leeway as it is. The same thing with these defensive linemen. Roughing the passer calls really bad, so definitely a glaring look. I think more on the NFL than the referees themselves, but certainly a bad look. As far as the game itself, both offensive lines were tremendous in this game. It was supposed to be a battle of trenches that was supposed to be very good. Chiefs only had one sack, the Eagles had zero, but I think the main difference is what you were saying. The Eagles were not able to get their running backs going. And we've seen the Chiefs have run defenses that were worse than this one. This year, per carry, it was below average, but their overall run defense was top 10. The Chiefs in previous years had bottom 10 run defenses and were able to step it up when it mattered most. You look at Derrick Henry in the AFC Championship game in 2019, you look at the 49ers in that Super Bowl that had that lethal three-headed monster of a running attack, and you look at the Browns the next year with Nick Chubb, who I think was the second leading rusher in the league. The Chiefs can stop these guys when it matters most, and that was, I think, the ended up being the difference. I think the difference was that the Chiefs could run the ball and the Eagles couldn't. Isaiah Pacheco was the best runner as far as the running backs were concerned. 15 for 76 yards, one touchdown. In the beginning of the season, Isaiah wasn't even the starting running back. He was the third option on this team in the beginning of the season. Had a good preseason, but yeah, didn't start right away. Still at Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he got hurt. He'll be gone now. Derek McKinnon kind of took over. Everyone thinking Ronald Jones was going to take over. Melvin Gordon, they signed. Those guys barely played because Pacheco played so well. He played well, and he is going to be a beast of a man. He had a fantastic game. Patrick Mahomes didn't have one of those crazy games. He was 21 for 27, 182 yards, three touchdowns. Was it an MVP game for him? No. I think the MVP went to the offensive line. They protected him. They kept him safe, and they put him in a good position to succeed. It was a crazy Super Bowl. It was a close Super Bowl, and it was probably fixed. Some people would probably say that I would
was nuts, but I'm not the only one that believes this. And I think with sports, it's become entertainment now. The NFL with betting, crazy things happen all the time in the Super Bowl. If you look at the last five Super Bowls, tell me it's not fishy what happens in the second half of all those Super Bowls. But it was a great Super Bowl. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. The Eagles definitely have to get back on the horse as their coordinators are, you know, parting ways. One goes to Indianapolis. The other one goes to Arizona. It'll be interesting where the Eagles go when it comes to the defensive coordinator position and the offensive coordinator position. The Colts fired one ex-Eagles offensive coordinator and hired another one. Now, the New York Jets. Quarterback carousel. If you're a Jet fan out there, you want Aaron Rodgers. I don't care how old Aaron Rodgers is. If he could still play, he gives you the best chance to win now. Lamar Jackson, everybody's been talking about if he gets franchised, he's going to want to go elsewhere. The Jets are connected to the Baltimore Ravens because of Joe Douglas. Ozzie Newsom's last pick of his career as a GM was Lamar Jackson. So a lot of things that really stand out on why a lot of people, including Peter King, think that the Jets should go after Lamar Jackson would make sense. Derek Carr is visiting the New York Jets this week. If I were the Jets, I would sway him. This is the organization he wants to play for. Because if the Jets sign Derek Carr, you don't have to trade picks. All you have to do is pay him. You keep your picks, you build around Derek Carr with your picks, and you move forward. If you go after Lamar Jackson, he's going to want $200 million guaranteed, and he's going to want $50 million a year. Probably the most upside out of all these quarterbacks, being that he's 26 and he's talented and he's already won an MVP. you got to change your offense with Lamar Jackson. Teaching these young players how to run the Lamar Jackson pistol offense. They just hired Nathaniel Hackett as an offensive coordinator who had trouble with another running quarterback last year. Yes, it doesn't make sense. Derek Carr makes a lot of sense. He can make every single throw. He likes to call plays and audible plays at the line of scrimmage. He knows the West Coast offense. So being that he has the whole weekend with his family to hang out with the Jets in New Jersey, a.k.a. New York, get to sightsee, get to look at the city, eat the food here, I would sway to Derek Carr and his family that this is the place he wants to be. Aaron Rodgers has to decide after his dark retreat what he is doing. Is he retiring? Is he going back to Green Bay, even though I've heard Heard that Green Bay doesn't want him back. What the Jets have to do to trade for him. What are they going to have to give up? There's a lot of what ifs or coulda, shoulda, woulda with the Jets because you don't know where the Jets are going to go with this. Now, I think they're going to get one of them. Woody Johnson came out and said at the Super Bowl, their number one priority is to bring a veteran quarterback in. Who are the two best veteran quarterbacks that are available right now? Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers. Joe Douglas is not going to trade all those draft picks too for Lamar Jackson and something like Aaron Rodgers too. He's only going to get it at his price. I don't think they're going to give up a one. I don't think because Green Bay is already saying they don't want him there anymore. That lowers the price. Yeah. If they sway Derek Carr before that, you're essentially accelerating the market because Aaron Rodgers is limited in terms of the teams he could be traded to as it is because the Packers don't want to trade him to another NFC team. So you're essentially hoping the Raiders give you a first round pick at that point because the other team that had a long shot was the Colts but I don't think that's likely anymore either. I think Steichen's going to want his own guys. It's a foregone conclusion Jimmy Garoppolo is going to the Raiders. 
Raiders. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't go to the Jets, where does he go? The Tennessee Titans? Maybe, but they have to shed a lot of money to make it work. It's the same thing we talked about last week with Derek Carr and the Saints. If it's not the Jets, where does Aaron Rodgers go? I think he'll still end up going to the Raiders, but I think the Raiders will overpay for him. They love flashy moves like that. The Super Bowl's in Vegas this year. Everything that I've read is Jimmy Garoppolo. They're inviting Jimmy to come and visit the Raiders. He fits the scheme. He knows Josh McDaniels' offense. He was there with the Patriots all those years with Josh McDaniels. I think they're going to go with Jimmy Garoppolo. If Derek Carr didn't fit the scheme of Josh McDaniels, what makes anybody think that Aaron Rodgers is going to want to run that scheme? Aaron Rodgers likes to call audibles at the line of scrimmage. How is Josh McDaniels going to change his mind when we know he's an egotistical maniac? It's not going to work. Josh McDaniels, you don't deserve that kind of ego if you trade for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers gets full-blown control of every audible imaginable. It's not going to happen. I didn't think it's going to work. That's why he's not going there. He's stubborn as hell, but I feel like it's still a move the Raiders front off. There's no way the Raiders are going to do that. Jimmy Garoppolo's been in a Super He is taking teams to the playoffs. I think it makes a lot of sense why they would go after Jimmy Garoppolo. You could still win with Jimmy, and Jimmy is going to run the scheme that you want him to run. Aaron will not. The Jets have Nathaniel Hackett. That's Aaron Rodgers' man. Nathaniel Hackett and the Jets are the perfect fit and the only fit for Aaron Rodgers right now. So if Aaron doesn't decide soon on what he wants to do, the Jets are going to go elsewhere, and it will be Derek Carr. Derek Carr is going to go see Carolina, the Buccaneers. There are four teams David Carr said that Derek Carr would be interested in, and he wants to go to a team that has a top 10 defense, a good offensive line, and weapons. Buccaneers don't have a good offensive line, so why they're the betting favorites to get him, I'm not really sure. They definitely have the weapons. It's Tampa. They won a Super Bowl. Derek would like the sun. He was in Vegas. He was Oakland. He's been in hot places his whole career, so Tampa's a beautiful city, and I think that would be a place he would love to go, but Tampa Bay, Carolina, and the Jets, I would want to go to the Jets. The Jets are a young team. Up and coming, they still would keep all their draft picks. You can rebuild certain pieces, the offensive line, drop some of these players and bring some safety help in free agency. There's a couple of good players in free agency that the Jets could sign at a cheap rate because they're veterans. So the Jets give you the best chance to win. But does he want to come to New York? Does he want to deal with the press? And a lot of people believe that his personality doesn't fit here in New York. That's why people are scared to even think that Derek Carr is the number one option for the Jets. Now, the question is for Derek Carr, if he's going to seek out that Super Bowl, is the AFC competition going to be too strong? Would he want to go to the NFC? Jets definitely have the most talent because, remember, the Saints do have to probably get rid of three players, big contracts, in order to get Derek Carr even closer there. The Buccaneers have to get rid of a couple, too. They're going to be losing a lot in free agency. The Panthers are the only one that really don't have the other cap issues of the Jets have more talent on the offensive side of the ball than the Panthers do. The Panthers are assembling a nice coaching staff with Frank Wright. DJ Moore is really their only good receiver, and their offensive line's not great. Their offensive line in the second half played very played well. better. They're well. young. If you bring in the right quarterback, it could help out, because if you have a quarterback that releases the ball quick and opens up the field, it helps out that offense, and it helps out the offensive line. Aaron Rodgers isn't going to Carolina, but why not no. Derek Carr? But I still think Carolina is going to be looking towards the draft to try to develop that way. I think it's the Saints, Buccaneers, and the Jets. I think two weeks from now, you're going to hear Derek Carr will make his decision. A lot of people think, being that he visited the Saints twice, the Saints persuaded him. But if they persuaded him so much, why is he looking elsewhere? He wasn't really sold with what the Saints were selling him. Because he became a free agent two days ago. He could have signed anywhere he wanted. He could have 
signed with the Saints already. And let's see what the Saints get rid of. And they Hill. still haven't done it. Yeah, Hill or Winston. One of Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara, which both have really bad contracts for their circumstances. Some good player on the defense. I would imagine Demario Davis, Cameron Jordan, Marcus May. Is Derek Carr going to say those players should have been helpful to this good team? Rich Samini reports that the Jets could shed up to $55 million of cap space if the season were to end about $4 million under the cap. They're going to have to pay their superstar defensive linemen. They have to pay Quincy Williams as well. He's not going to be as expensive as Quinnen, and he'll take less money to stay with the Jets and play with his brother. But Carl Lawson could be on his way out. They're going to have to renegotiate C.J. Mosley. Braxton Berrios could be gone. Whitehead could be gone. But I think in the position that the Jets are in, it's not going to hurt them as bad because they have a lot of good young players that deserves an opportunity to get a starting job. Clemens looked really, really good as a run stopper and even getting at the quarterback. I also believe Jermaine Johnson deserves an opportunity to play on every single down, too. This guy was a first-round draft pick. It was a talented pass rusher. He really didn't get an opportunity to show everybody what he could do like we saw Garrett Wilson do, Brees Hall, and Sauce Garden. I think Jermaine Johnson could be a game-changing player as well. If they just find themselves a quarterback and they bring in some veterans, this team is a Super Bowl contender. They have a lot of the key positions, pass rush, secondary depth, which is insane. The Jets probably have the best corner depth in the league. Wide receivers, they're still pretty good on. Now, Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims, they could get better. With a better quarterback, pieces they could build on that are inexpensive right now. Corey Davis, Arios will be gone mm-hmm. too. I think Mosley and Lawson will both stay. I think they'll both restructure. The Jets don't need much else on defense. They could use a couple more offensive line pieces, but they just need more depth. They have two guys coming back. They brought in Dwayne Brown. I expect them to drop Dwayne Brown coming off a of shoulder surgery. Font is gone. They have Max Mitchell coming back with the blood clots. Hopefully he's 100%. They draft the center in the draft. They put themselves in a really good position. They don't need much anymore. Right. They need a quarterback and maybe one or two pieces to fill in where they could contend in the AFC, a very dangerous AFC. And Robert Sala taking a defense ranked 28th last year, all the way to fourth best defense. They had a sensational year and had a lot to do with Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. Michael Carter was fantastic. And they have some depth too. They have a lot of weapons on the offensive side of the ball. Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall's coming back. And yes, they have Denzel Mims. They're in a very good spot, the Jets, if they make the right decisions with the quarterback. When we come back, our special guest, we will be talking to Eagles in Philly's Spanish language broadcaster, Oscar Budahan, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the Ally News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including our show, The Sports Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great content, great guests, great callers. We have a very special guest, first time on our show, the voice of Spanish broadcasting in Philadelphia all season long and the Super Bowl for the Eagles and also for the Philadelphia Phillies. Our guest, we are now talking to Eagles and Phillies, Spanish language broadcaster, Oscar Budahan. Oscar, what's up, bud? What's happening? We lost the Super Bowl. We lost a golden opportunity. I thought the 
way Jalen Hurts played that game, we should have won the Super Bowl. And unfortunately, a couple of mistakes and against a team like Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes, you cannot make mistakes. That's the bottom line. Yeah, well, I have the bottom line to argue in so many different points of that game where threw me off. I think the referees, the calls in the second half were just ridiculous. But before we get into it, how are you doing? How have you been doing with the pandemic over the last couple of years? We're doing good. Everybody good. Thank God. Safe and sound here. It's been a whirlwind the last four months with the Phillies. I broadcast the Phillies as well as the Eagles. So it's been a World Series and a Super Bowl that has been surreal. I pinch myself. Look, <laughs> this is real. I mean, it's a Super Bowl and it's a World Series, but we lost both. So there is a good and the bad with everything. It's a great year for Philadelphia sports. For anything to complain about, even if you lose those championship games, the fact that you were there makes Philadelphia sports where you want it to be. We're here in New York. If we had a Super Bowl and we have a World Series this year, hey, I'd be happy. Everybody would be happy. Especially my Jets team that hasn't been in the Super Bowl in 53 years. Even if they lost that game and it was 35-38, I'd be excited for the Jets, but that's uh, just By me. the way, I had the opportunity to broadcast the Jets versus Cleveland Browns game oh. in Cleveland. That was fascinating. I mean, <laughs> I was saying all along, do you believe in miracles? And the miracle happened. See, this is where you stop and say, since when did anything like this happen to the Jets? But uh. then you realize it's the Browns. So of course it can. <laughs> <laughs> the reality is the Jets have a great foundation yes. on defense. Mm-hmm. They need a good quarterback. All my indications I predicted a few months ago that Aaron Rodgers would be the guy going there. We'll see. Aaron Rodgers would be a great fit in that offense with that young talent. I see a bright future on the Jets, man. They got a great foundation. They do. Oscar, why don't we get into the Super Bowl? And it was a fantastic Super Bowl. And I actually called what was going to happen. I had the Eagles winning, but I said, if the Eagles lose, the Eagles are going to dominate the first half. They're going to go into the fourth quarter with the lead, and then all of a sudden, something miraculously is going to happen. Patrick Mahomes grows another leg. He runs all over them. It becomes a field goal game, and then the Kansas City Chiefs win the game by a field goal, and there she blows. It happens exactly the way I called it if Kansas City won. But did you think in your wildest dreams that Jalen Hurts was going to outplay the great Patrick Mahomes? Probably not outplay him, but probably play toe-to-toe with him. Jalen Hurts have been doing this all year. He got hurt in the meeting in the game against the, the Bears, and he had a couple games there where his shoulder was not up to par but what Jalen Hurts did in the Super Bowl is what he's capable of doing what he's evolving to be he's not a guy that is going to be a fantastic thrower he made some throws in this game not so much the A.J. Brown the A.J. Brown was more of an A.J. Brown adjustment back there against two defenders he's outstanding with the ball in the air and he knows how to make those plays Devonta Smith is an outstanding wide receiver as well and Dallas Goddard a great tight end so he has a complement of three great position players that he can go to the couple passes in the third quarter to Goddard were outstanding. Very few quarterbacks can do that. So he's not the guy that is going to throw very hard, but he has learned how to play with touch. He has learned how to manage the game and use kind of a third dimension. The first dimension is the passing game. The second dimension, the running game, and also his ability to be able to run the ball and his intelligence. I think something people undermine is his intelligence. He has the ability to play the RPO. He has mastered the RPO. The job both Sirianni as well as Steichen, and now he's with Indianapolis, have done in terms of developing an offense custom to Jalen to his strength is is what you saw in the Super Bowl and we score 35 points I mean if you score 35 points you need to win a game I thought we were going to be able to be more effective in the run game in the middle I do believe that the footing and the issue with the turf I'm not going to make any excuses on the referees or any excuses on the turf it impacted both of the team but it impacted the game itself 
I thought the inside run was all Eagles based on the fact that the Chiefs were 19th on defense, allowing 4.5 yards per game. They were vulnerable to the middle. You didn't see that many runs from the middle. Every time that a running back got the ball, they're wanting to go outside. Miles Sanders wanted to go outside. And I said, look, you need to run through the middle. You got to run north-south versus east-west. And that represented an issue. And Sanders was not effective in this game. Yeah, I saw this uh, too. And it looked like the blocking was still pretty good too. And I'm like, where is he cutting to? Boston Scott did it once too, on the right and on the left. The only person that was running very well was Gainwell. Yeah, Gainwell has been doing that to cover being the main guy for the running game since the Giants game and he took it to the 49ers and he did the same thing at the Super Bowl. Unless he wants to come in on a friendly deal, that was probably the last game for Miles Sanders in Philly. So the other thing that was a big strength of the Eagles this year that disappeared in this game was their pass rush. I know the Chiefs offensive line is fantastic, but barely saw any pressure in this game by the Eagles front. Are you surprised that they really couldn't get any leverage, both with their run defense where the Chiefs rushed for 158 yards in the game and also with their pass rush. I do believe, particularly in the pass rush, not so much on defense. The run defense has been an issue for this team since the beginning of the year. At some point, we were 22 in the NFL on rushing defense, but I do believe the turf has a significant impact on our pass rush. Our pass rush is significantly better than the pass rush of the Chiefs, and it did not show in this game, and I think the turf, and I'm not trying to make any excuses, it impacted both, but the defensive line of the Eagles outside of Chris Jones is better than the defensive line of the Chiefs, and I think the turf had a significant impact. Guys are slipping. They couldn't get good footing, and that is key. A guy like Sweat that has done a tremendous job using his feet in the outside, or Hassan Redick that came to the game with 19 and a half sacks in 19 games, there were very, very limited factors. I mean, I saw Hassan Redick a couple of times trying to get to Mahomes, and look, Mahomes is the number one quarterback in the NFL in pressures. Every time Mahomes is under pressure, you only can sack him 10% of the time, so he's kind of Houdini back there, but I did believe that our rushing would do a much better job pass rushing the chief particularly the tackles it was nowhere to be found we are talking to eagles and philly spanish language broadcaster oscar budahan the game went back and forth going from the first half that was complete domination as a matter of fact the kansas city chiefs only had the ball for eight minutes the eagles had it for over 21 minutes they dominated the first half and jalen hurts dropped that ball that defensive touchdown by the kansas city chiefs absolutely kept them in the game and then in the third quarter i just thought the eagles still were playing at the top of their game going until three minutes of the third quarter. Then everything started to fall apart. All of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes' leg is fine. He's running the ball. He's making plays on the run. Something he couldn't do all game long, which made absolutely no sense. Were you surprised that Patrick Mahomes, all of a sudden, he was limping off the field in the second quarter and then came back in the fourth quarter and was running all over that defense? That front seven of the Eagles, which was one of the best front sevens in all of football? Something happened in the locker room. The guy looked like Superman in the second half of the game. Mahomes is Mahomes, right? The best quarterback in the NFL. He's a generational player. He can do magic. I don't think this game was won by Mahomes. Outside of that run that he made at the end to kind of clinch the game, 29 rush, that was his best play in the game. The two passes that he made, it was mistakes on the Eagles' defense. A great scheme ran. The Eagles did a very poor job adjusting to kind of a lot of the shift that Andy Reid put in this game, and they couldn't find answers. Every time they were shifting and moving prior to the snap, the Eagles would fall for it, and they would get out of position and the touchdown to Tony and the touchdown the touchdown to Kelsey was a real touchdown yes. it was a mismatch between a safety Epps and Kelsey but the other two touchdowns were misplaced by the defense we just did not adjust it properly to the shift and that cost the game even them scoring them we had a chance and unfortunately the ref threw that flag there and Jalen Hurts could have had the clock with the Chief up by three with a minute and 43 and a couple of timeouts and anything could have happened then and we don't know the ref took it away the ref took it away two weeks ago 
against the Bengals, too. Yes, that was a penalty on hitting Patrick Mahomes on the outside of the hash, but you don't call that in a big game. That gave them field goal range and put them in a position to win the game. We don't know what could have happened if it went to overtime, but you don't do that. I thought it was unsportsmanlike for the Kansas City Chiefs to do the things that they did at the end of the game, not giving the Eagles opportunity. This is the Super Bowl. Millions of people watching the game. I understand you're trying to win the game, but you want to see craziness happen in the Super Bowl, and you don't want to take that away from a team because I'm going to kneel, I'm going to make sure that we don't score the touchdown or kick the field goal quick so we don't give them a chance to win the game or come back or bring it to overtime. I don't like that. It's football. Yeah, it's a game. It is football, and is within the rules, and you're going to win the Super Bowl, and mm. I would have probably done, the Eagles would have done the same thing. I don't that think was so. Easy. It's just the call. That call in that moment, in an NBA Finals, you won't call that. In a Super Bowl, in the fourth quarter, you will not make that call. And they were holes before that that were or interferences that were significantly worse than this one. I was disappointed. I thought we had a very good chance coming into this game. My final score was 30-28 Eagles. I would have loved for Jalen to have that minute and 43 seconds to try to prove the magic. He did something very similar against the Indianapolis Colts and the guy is special. Jalen Hurst is a franchise quarterback. He's a special talent. He doesn't have the same passing capabilities that Mahomes has, but Mahomes doesn't have the running. What that kid did in that two-point conversion shows you who Jalen Hurts is. He's a man with a mission. He has a will to win and he's going to do whatever it takes for him and his team to be able to win the game. The coaching, the defense not being able to guard a lot of those yards for the catch, short passes. The offense having trouble running to the outside, running up the middle. Do you blame that more on the coaching or do you think that was just more of the players just not executing? And We know both those assistant coaches have been very good throughout the year as they both just got head coaching jobs. Gannon brought to this game the fourth best defense in the NFL. Mm-hmm. They were number one in passing. There's a reason why they were the number one passing. There's a lot of people are going to say, well, they didn't play anybody. Well, they play Aaron Rodgers. They play Tannehill. They play Dak Prescott. But in the second half, home was 13 out of 14 and they ran 114 yards out of the 158 they had in the game. They ran a lot more than I would have expected we were going to allow them to do. But in those two plays, the first one, I put it on the players that they should have seen what was happening. For a moment, they lost track where the player was trying to adjust the defense. But on the second one, you should have made an adjustment and know where this was going because they were both motion fakes and both times we fell for the same play. We are talking to Eagles in Philly Spanish language broadcaster Oscar Budahan. So why don't we get into the Phillies and going to the World Series, firing Joe Girardi in the middle of the season. Thompson takes over. To me, manager of the year. Changed this team for the better. Got everybody to play the way Joe Girardi expected them to play before he got fired. The bullpen started pitching better. What was the difference between Joe Girardi and Thompson when he took over as the manager? They have different personalities and their personalities absolutely showed throughout the season. In the first part where Joe was there, Joe was a lot more demanding. He has a lot more of a regimen approach to things. When Thompson took the team, he basically said, look, I trust you. I know you're going to do the right thing. And he's a lot more of a player's manager, kind of believing in them, trusting them, and giving them full ownership. This team is a team that has a lot of players that have a lot of experience. I mean, Harper, Schwarber, Romuto, Hoskins. These are not young players anymore. These are players that know how to play the game and trust in them to lead the way. And Schwarber did an amazing job. He's more of a vocal leader in the team. Harper is more kind of, I'll show you what we're capable of doing. Everything came together at the end of the season and it was absolutely magical and together with the fans we're able to do and the players it just started building up we beat the Cardinals we beat the Rays we beat the Padres and we found ourselves in Houston their pitching was significantly in a much better shape than we were they had a six-man rotation in September Nola and Wheeler their arms were about to fall off we couldn't pitch anymore and our pitching just basically got tired so what about the Phillies offseason they were very active and I 
thought for very good bargains, too. Trey Turner was the big name. 11 years, $300 million. Took $40 million less to go to Philadelphia than go to the Padres. Taiwan Walker, I'm a Mets fan. I know how he could pitch. He got a good bargain, too. Four years, 72. Matt Strom, a good contract to help out that bullpen. And Craig Kimbrell. So what do you think of those offseason moves? Yeah, and the other one was Gregory Soto, the closer from Detroit. I think we have a very, very strong team. You need to remember this name. Andrew Painter. Andrew Painter is the best pitching prospect in baseball. He's a right-handed pitcher. He's going into his second year, and he's probably going to be the fifth starter of the Phillies. This dude is special. I think he's the next Berlander here. When I look at him pitching, he is a stud. He's going to be a number one in two or three years. He's moving very, very fast, and there is a high likelihood that he will become a fifth starter. They're going to limit his innings. It's very possible that the Phillies go to a six-man rotation, so you can minimize, especially in the beginning of the year, Wheeler, Nola, that pitched too many innings last year, and also Andrew Painter, so you can manage the inning, and then Falter could be the sixth guy, together with Ranger and Walker, and Walker is a good pitcher. I like what he brings. He's a good three or four pitcher. Sometimes he's on, sometimes he's off, but when he's bringing his cotter, the kid could be a great asset for this team. We are talking to Eagles and Philly Spanish language broadcaster Oscar Budahan. Bryce Harper is one of the leaders of this team. He is going to be out for half the season. A lot of people said that the reason why Trey Turner came here was Bryce Harper, being that they're very close. They played with the Nationals. They grew up together. Having the elbow surgery, he wasn't 100%. He didn't like the fact that the DH was going to the National League. It helped out in the playoffs. It kept him in the lineup. And now the DH is there in the National League forever now. What are your thoughts to the DH in the National League? And what are your thoughts to Bryce Harper coming back and being a big part of the second half of this Philadelphia Phillies team? The baseball that we live in the 80s and the 90s is different than the baseball we're living today. The world moved to analytics. The world moved to shifts. The world moved to a number of different things. And the other thing is the game got too long. Each game is taking four and a half hours. So I think some of the rules that are taking place about avoiding shifts so we can have more hits and being able to have that pitching count, which is going to be interesting how pitchers pitch in the beginning of the year, are significant changes. I mean, it's going to impact the game. There are some pitchers that are right now bulking or there are pitchers that take their time or throw three or four times to first base before going to home plate. The game is going to change. And the reality is that it's changing. The game, the speed is going to play a little bit more of a probing your role. Left-handed hitters are probably going to be benefiting from mm. avoiding and shift. So we're going to see a change in the game, hopefully for the better. And we're going to see games that are a little bit shorter. With regards to Trey Turner, he's a superstar. To me, he's a Joe Burrow of football. Hmm. Uh, this yeah. this kid, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he's Joe Burrow. This kid can do anything on the diamond. Not the greatest shortstop, but with a bat in his hand, this guy can hit for power. He can be an RBI man. He can be a leadoff, tremendous base runner, one of the most complete hitters in the game. I would put him up there with the Trouts of this world, the Harpers wow. of this world, the Sotos of this world. You look at his war, he is a special talent. Hitting-wise, Trey Turner, you can name him with the best in the game. He is a very, very special talent. He's going to be covering shortstop for the Phillies for the next 10 years so i love the idea last year in the middle of the year i knew that he was a free agent i knew that the harper has said well he's my best friend or i consider him to be the best player in baseball i say trey turner come to this team next year the phillies are making it to the world series the world series came in a year before even without trey turner now with trey turner i can tell you we can win the world series it will all depend on the pitching i think it has a lot to do with managing too and i think thompson has been everything you wanted joe girardi to be and the fact that joe girardi jumped a couple of years after the yankees to go over there to 
Philadelphia and really not produce, it's going to be very hard for Joe Girardi to find another job. The way he manages, he's an old-time type of manager, and everybody doesn't like Aaron Boone here in New York, but everything that Aaron Boone does is really analytics. He follows the analytics. Girardi wasn't that type of guy. He had his analytics, but he did it the old way. That's the difference, I think, in Joe Girardi and Thompson. You mentioned pace of play, and how is it different from the perspective of a broadcaster like yourself and also from the players and some of these new rule changes we're seeing now? They kept the ghost runner. They made bigger bases. How do you think they'll have an impact on the game? I've never been a fan of the ghost runner. I do believe that you need to play at least a couple of innings regular baseball before you go bring a ghost runner at second base. I think that changes the game too much. I do believe that if the game after a 10th and 11th inning, you are not able to score the run, then you bring the ghost runner in. I would be fine with that. I personally am not a fan of the ghost runner, the DH. I used to like a lot the National League where you need to become a more strategist, but it creates a bigger burden on pitching because you're going to be in the fifth inning and you're going to have the opportunity with two men on base, men on second and third with two outs, and wow, my pitcher is coming to bat. What am I going to do? Many times, if it's not your one or two, you're probably going to pitch hit for the guy, and the game has a different strategy to it. I like that, but unfortunately, that has gone away. We took advantage of that. The Phillies would not have made it to the World Series if we wouldn't have the DH and Harper would have been there. You run with what you have, and you make the most out of it, and think positive. I do believe the biggest part is going to be the pitching, the guys not being able to throw more than two times to first base. That is going to impact the game significantly, because you're going to have to think very carefully when you throw to first base. Be able to move fast. 20 seconds. There's a pitcher, Luis Garcia, with the Houston Astros. What he does is bulk. The new rules, he's bulking every time, so he's going to have to change his mechanic. How is that going to impact him as a pitcher? If you ask him to change his windup and how he's going to do that, is he going to make him wild? What's going to happen to him? But I know he's not going to be the same pitcher he was before. You're messing with the way he mechanically goes to home plate. It's going to impact the game. I think it will speed up the game, which is great. Some of these games just take forever. I remember one game, 16-8, a couple years ago against the Cubs. I would say, when in the world is this game going to end? In the fifth inning, and you're winning by eight or nine or ten runs, and you go like, oh my goodness, when is this going to end? It's baseball, and I love baseball, and I have a passion for the sport. I played it all my life when I lived in Venezuela. I played in college. They are impacting the essence of the game, so it's complex to understand with the DH, the timing, the whiting of the base thing is more for safety reasons, which is fine. I don't have that big of an issue with that, but the speed to home plate, that is going to impact a lot of pitchers. Who do you think is the best team in the National League? The Braves, the Mets, or your Philadelphia Phillies? At the top, the Braves and the Phillies. The Mets are number wow. three. I've been in this game for such a long time that I have my doubts. When pitchers are a certain age, they're not the same guys. I agree with you. Schwarzer, Berlander, and Quintana. Senior citizens. I understand the talent. Schwarzer and Berlander, they're probably two best players in our generation. How many times are they going to go into the DL this year? Schwarzer have gone at least a couple of times two years in a row. Look at the ground. He's already hurting and he's going to miss yep. a few days. Yep. Pitching is a very complex game. That's why I'm very worried about Wheeler and Nola's arm that they pitch so much that we're going to have to control their innings very carefully because I'm very concerned that they pitched so many innings last year that it could impact them and they could get tired at some point this year. I do believe the Mets have a lot of depth. I don't know how much depth. I know the Yankees have depth and thank God that they do. They do have depth in pitching. They have a left-handed pitcher and a right-handed pitcher that could play long innings yeah. or they could go immediately and they brought the guy from the Far East which is a good pitcher. Everything describes that he's going to be a good pitcher. He's going to be their number four starter. So it's going to be an interesting season yeah. in the East. One thing Turner brings to 
of the Phillies they didn't have last year that the Mets have had. The Mets, they have Alonso was their big hitter, but all the other hitters were contact hitters. Turner brings a level of contact in the top of the order of the Phillies. going to bring a lot more runs than they have. Just like the Eagles versus the Chiefs. The Eagles have a great roster of 53, but the bigger roster, the Braves, but the Phillies are not too far. Oscar, we really appreciate you for the time. I know you're probably upset about the weekend. Super Bowl, the Phillies being knocked out. Yeah, and I'm going to be spring training next week, so I'll be a happy camper next week. We're going back to spring in Florida. It's a nice time of the year. Well, have fun. We'll get you on soon, my friend. Thank you guys for the opportunity. Absolutely. All the best to you. And Thank you, man. Keep Oscar, up bringing it. Take Oscar Budahan. He's fantastic. Oscar the Great, ladies and gentlemen. He's not the grouch. He should be the grouch. The Phillies go to the World Series. They lose. The Eagles go to the Super Bowl. They lose. And he's not a Grinch. I have to give him a lot of credit. Two teams, two different sports in the same Philadelphia area failing to win a championship. But congratulations to the Eagles and the Phillies. Thank you, Oscar, for joining us. You were fantastic. You could tell he's a broadcaster. Very well-spoken and good passion with both of the teams. You would never have known that he is a Spanish broadcaster. Uh All the enthusiasm that he has, especially with the Eagles, with the Super Bowl. Tough way for them to lose, but he was fantastic. Very insightful and a great guy to have on this show. He might be a Grinch because the Eagles are green and the Phillies mascot is green, but he definitely showed more positivity enthusiasm. And when we come back, two very positive guys that love betting and handicapping. Two of the best. Moneyline Mania with Chaz. And yes, World Wide West. He's back and he is bragging. When we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, kids, listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows, live shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loudmouths, which airs every Every Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. every Thursday. Great shows, great content, great guests. Extremely fun to listen to if you're a sports fan. And now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a betting man, you should be listening to these guys as we call this segment Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania with Jazz and the crew. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I thought the Super Bowl was fixed. Absolutely disgusting, those referees in the fourth quarter. But Kansas City wins another one. I want to throw up. World Wide West has a smile on his face and our friend Chaz. How are you, Chaz? Everything I said happened. I hit every single one of my bets before the first half ended. So it was a surreal second half for me. But Blackhawk West spent two weeks taking everything he bet and put a little bit with a parlay with the money line, a little with the parlay with the Chiefs. So I had four plays in the first half, won all my bets before the half was over. It was wonderful. But this dude hit 43 of them. He's a lucky man. It's not know. luck. 43 a penalty. You touch me when I can catch the ball, they're going to call that. If it's on the other side, if the ball went to the right, that play is over. It's no penalty. But the bottom line is, they're the better team. They proved it. Five years, just an incredible run. But come on, 43 tickets on one game? That's amazing. I can agree. They had not been throwing that flag for that 
type of situation all game. And that flag being thrown at that time probably wouldn't have been thrown earlier in the game, but it was a hold. But they were in field goal range. But that, that wasn't the, the point. Away. Because of the penalty, it was a first down. It took away the opportunity for the Eagles to take the ball down the field, maybe kick a field goal, maybe score a touchdown and win the game. Yes, it should have been a penalty in a regular season game, in a playoff game of that magnitude. You don't call a penalty. Well, it didn't me, affect the me, play. Let me ask you this, though. Was it a football move? when they overturned Bolton's second touchdown of the game on the pick six? Was it a football move against the Bengals in the fourth quarter when the referee let the play go on and then after the play was dead, they called a timeout? We're talking about the Super Bowl, and that was a legitimate catch, an attempt to make a football move, and they overturned a Chiefs touchdown. However, in my defense, I had already cashed a ticket on the first one because it was an anytime defensive touchdown, an anytime special teams touchdown. They almost had three of those. They had one called back and the punt went out at the four. That was amazing. The defense and special teams. They were winning that game regardless. If they had to kick three and give it back to Jalen Hurts with a minute and a half, the way that that team was amped up, they weren't going to score again. The better team lost as the Eagles were the better team throughout the season. The Eagles look better most of the season, but if you look at the strength of schedule and the opponents, you just look at the quarterbacks that they played. Every time the Eagles played a quarterback that was worth anything, that quarterback hung over 30 on them. Dak Prescott hung 40. Trevor Lawrence hung 30. The Eagles did not play a very strong schedule. They're in a weak division. Yeah, no, I don't know about that. I heard that, and I said, well, the, the weak division. My ass, the three of their teams are in the playoffs. The well, bottom line the is, is well, if I have the ball, and I give you the ball, and you take it all the way back, and you get points, but I have the ball, but I gave you the ball, you're not going to win the NFL games. Screw the refs. The refs have nothing to do with it. You can't give the ball to the other team and let them score a touchdown. Don't blame the refs. You gave the ball to the other team. That gives them points. You can't do that. Ah, it's not fixed. All the Super Bowls are fixed. To get two of them. <laughs> the guy, he doesn't know it's getting called back when he's in the end zone. I actually had that happen to me, and it really sucks. Well, Especially if you ran like 50 yards with the ball, but you're the only one in the stadium that doesn't know it's a touchdown. It's hard to come back from that. I picked the Eagles to win. If the Eagles lost the game, I pretty much called everything that was going to happen all the way into the final play of the game. I said it was going to be a field goal that was going to win. I said that Patrick Mahomes was not really hurt that he was going to come back in the third quarter and look like nothing was wrong with his ankle. I also said that the Eagles, they were going to dominate the first half and fall apart in the second half with their defense. Anyways, are you guys ready? Weird week in sports betting, but people are making fun of football and because of Wes's CFL background, I just tag along. Now I've caught up. It's like Yoda. I'm not necessarily trying to be equal to him. I just want to be as good as him. And it just makes XFL an opportunity for us. Now, not Saturday and Sunday and maybe not week two, but by the time week three rolls around, we'll know who's coaching, who's playing. It's only eight teams too. We have experience in that small leagues, Wes. The XFL, all I'm doing is taking points. I'm not studying rosters. I'm not studying teams. I'm not betting full units. These are like quarter units, even tenth units, but I'm just taking points as many as I can. So four games this weekend, San Antonio is at home getting two and a half points. I'll probably give it a look. DC Defenders, they're at home getting one point. I'll probably give it a look. I'm probably going to let it go until we get a little bit into the first quarter. Hopefully somebody scores. Hoping the favorite scores first and St. Louis scores first. Well, then you're probably going to be able to get plus nine on San Antonio. And that's what I'm going to ride. And until we know these teams and who's going to do what, half these players 
haven't played since college. Some of them have been cut from CFL rosters, just hung the crack pipe up so that they can go try and make a roster again. At least 50% of these locker rooms are playing replacements 24 hours on a loop. Are you going to be able to bet those bets? Are you going to be able to get lines? I'm, I'm looking at lines right now, and these over-unders, I'm looking at 36 over-unders. That feels like over. If there was an NFL game and I said, is it going to be over or under 36 points total? We would take the over all day, every day. Mm-hmm. Unless it was Cleveland playing. But defense is a lot harder than offense, especially with the rules. I told everybody it was going to be on the over. My friend Justin called me up before the game and he says, what do you have? You have it on the over or the under? I said, absolute over in this game. All playoff long, it's always been on the under. I should be picking on the under. And I said, I'm telling you, this game is going to be on the over. And I was oh, worried. it did have a run from that Monday night playoff game. Seven unders in a row. When we're talking XFL, don't make fun of me for betting XFL. You just lost $200 on freaking red. You bet red. You lost $200 and you're yelling at me for getting three hours for 50 bucks on an XFL game. But I got three books and I'm not seeing the lines like you would see for a TCU game. You're going to have to find your book and if you can't get live action, then you got to make sure you're not wrong to begin with. How many times, Wes, you and I are wrong, but we make up for it in live action and sometimes we make more money betting that we were wrong than when we were betting originally. Most of the time, the live action is what makes a difference, but I'm looking at the XFL lines, and I'm saying over every game is worth playing. 21-17 is what we're looking for in every one of these games. I'm saying over all the way across the board, and take points on the dogs. Those four totals are almost exact because the book doesn't know either. So I talked about the horses because Wes and I are horse guys. Wes is a horse guy probably more than I am, and there's not many guys that are more horse guys, unless the real horse guys are the guys they don't even really bet sports. They're just 100% into the horses, and good for them. I enjoy the horses, but I'm not handicapping an allowance, $57,000 allowance race. My time is way too valuable for that. So I look for these big races. We're getting there. Two next Saturday, three the following Saturday, and then we're talking about the last race, the Florida Derbies, the Santa Anita Derbies, the last race before that first Saturday in May. For horse racing, it's a fun time. The NBA All-Star, there's some interesting lines there. Over-under is 325 points. (laughs) We laughed about that because it's always that, right? Every year they say, do you believe that over? And they go over. The quest for 200 points. Let's talk NBA All-Star game MVP and where some of the value is. I like John Morant, plus 1,100. I like Donovan Mitchell, plus 1,000. I like Jokic, plus 1,800. There's value there. 18 to 1, 11 to 1, and 10 to 1. And Uh, those are all great players. It's going to come down to minutes and who wants to be in there. LeBron is plus 450. I don't see LeBron winning this MVP. It was in Cleveland last year, and I don't see him wanting to put the minutes in to put up those numbers. Giannis is plus 650. I don't see him putting in those kinds of minutes either. He's been somewhat banged up. Same thing with With his wrist. I don't even think Giannis plays more than 15 minutes in this game. And the guys I'm picking, I think that those are just marquee names that might have something to prove. It's my league now. Tatum might have a chip on his shoulder, and he might be looking to show you that he owns the league now. That pays 10 to 1. What about this three-point contest? Three-point contest, I like Tyler Harrow, and that's plus 800. The shortest odds on the three-point contest, Damian Lillard, is plus 300, but I like Harrow in that one. I like Damian Lillard. Yeah, It's either Dame or Jason Tatum, because Jason Tatum could shoot him, too. I don't have a problem betting the odds on favorite. I just parlay Kelsey and Hurts. Sometimes the best is the best, and in hindsight, how many horses have we looked at that we got 520 for $2, and we said, oh my god, we just stole some money. 
I don't think Damian Lillard ever gets enough respect in the NBA how good he is and how good of a shooter he is. Damian Lillard never won the three-point contest. So I think this is the year Damian Lillard pulls it out. And if he doesn't, Jason Tatum. Tyler Hero's a good shooter. Buddy Heal's a really good shooter. Underrated. Something tells me it's Damian Lillard's three-point contest for him to lose. So When they're in the zone, it really is amazing. I go to the gym. I shoot the three-pointers. I know what it's like. I could probably get my arms above my head now. But it's just amazing. They showed Larry. Bird's clip when he hit 11 in a row. I'm in awe. And then I look back to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar led the league in points for all those years till LeBron caught him and he combined his whole season for three three-point shots. He did it two at a time. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar held that scoring record since 1984. LeBron was born in 1984. Wow. Who do you guys yeah, have like, in a dunk contest? Klung is the favorite. I kind of like Sims. Before yesterday, Sims was the odds-on favorite. Somehow he fell out because McClung actually posted up some of his crazy dunks on YouTube and he's been promoting that he's going to have some of the craziest dunks you've never seen and you hear that all the time. That's a big discrepancy. Minus 180 for one guy and plus 300 for everybody else. I think Jericho Sims, he's the tallest one out of all of them. I think he's got something up his sleeve. He's not even the best dunker on the Knicks. If you're a basketball player and you live above the rim like that, you would want to you know know, hate people. You know what makes me sick about the slam dunk contest? Over the years, the slam dunk contest is the best thing about the All-Star Weekend. And then you put all these guys. Kenyon Martin Jr. Who wants to see Kenyon Martin Jr. stunk? Trey Murphy the third, Jericho Sims, Matt McClung. I want to see LeBron James. I want to see the superstars go out there and show off their skills. You know why they don't want to do it? They don't want to embarrass themselves. MJ, Wilkins, Spud Webb, Vince Carter. No, there's no doubt that it was so exciting and now they got four guys. It's like the Santa Anita Derby this year. Four horses. They're all trained by Bafford. Four guys that are Bench players. The three has become what the dunk was 20 and 30 years ago. Mm. The three is the most exciting. Part of the All-Star game last year was watching Steph take a run at the three-point record, watching him shoot one just nonchalantly from half court. If you can't shoot the three, you're not going to win games. Everyone enjoys Steph's nonchalant shooting except for Errol. I can't stand Steph Curry. One of the most overrated players in NBA history. Do you want me to tell you now that they're going to repeat? That's like saying Mahomes is overrated because he's only been doing it for five years. I'll make that bet with you. I'm okay to do that. I think the move is that we, we make it something more fun than money. It's 13 to 1, so the one person has to do is got to be 13 times harder than the other person. Well, last bet I made with a friend had to do with singing a fight song and, and buying a polo. No, it's either a money bet or something crazy. Where I live is some of the best barbecue you can get in the world. And I got a package with your name on it. What kind of package? And, and I know that you being in New York, there's probably a variety of different foods. I would love to have Amazon too. I'm thinking a good trip to Rice to Riches, good okay. Junior's Cheesecake. All right, let's do it. That's the bet. I've got either the Nuggets or the Phoenix Suns coming out of the West and out of the East, Boston and the Bucks. Phoenix is probably going to win it as long as they stay healthy, but I like the Nuggets too. I feel strongly about Golden State again this year. I'm on Golden State or Denver out okay. of the West and out of the East. I'm either Boston or Cleveland. Cleveland's a good team defensively and their best shooting percentage they, defense. They just got to learn how to finish games. That's what I like about Cleveland the most is they play a gritty brand of defense the way that a lot of teams don't. They can knock down the three, but they play a really good early 90s style of defense. They can make 
teams look ugly. Boston doesn't want to get gritty like that. I don't think Boston wins. I don't think any of the teams that come out of the East wins. And if any of the teams come out of the East, it would be the Bucks that wins the whole thing. My problem with the West versus Golden State, Steph is injured right now. But Golden State is not playing this stop and start like most of these other teams. Phoenix, they're playing games with their roster. They got players in and out. Denver kind of does a little bit of the same. And Golden State is out there playing good ball without Curry. And Curry's going to come back. And what they're going to do this year, I hope, is what they should have done last year, is let Curry play as a sixth man. And then oh, they won't know yeah. what to do. When Steph shows up halfway through the first quarter and he plays till the end of the first half, then he starts the third quarter. But Golden State is not playing tank ball. Even Boston, they're sitting players down at odd times, choosing not to show up. Remember, Golden State started 0-12 on the road. Since then, they're just playing basketball. I don't ball. know about remember. playing it's basketball. They're 29-29. and 29. Yeah, but you throw away those 12 games, they're playing good basketball uh, since then. They're not the same team they were last year. They they're just not. traded Wiseman, which made absolutely no sense. They didn't even use him enough. They trade him away. He goes to Detroit. None of the stuff that they have done so far makes any sense. And I think they're getting old. Draymond Green will be gone next year. And eventually, they're going to have to trade Steph because they got to get something back for him. Obviously. Is not trophies good enough to get back for him? Right. They put Steph out there, they get back trophies. It seems like a good one. It wasn't only because of Steph on why they won last year. I love when people like to blow Steph up like he's so right, special. There's five special. people on the court. It's the smallest team game of any games. Even hockey has more people on the ice than basketball. Did you know the Golden State Warriors were a top three defensive team last it, it year? Doesn't matter. And they're one of the well, worst defensive teams. Is that Steph Curry, no other team can say 20% of my guys on the court right now are Steph Curry. They can't. Okay. Only his team can do that. Steph Curry That's is overrated. He, it's his team. Overrated. <laughs> and I'm going to prove it when they get knocked out in the second round of the playoffs. I'm just looking forward to Phoenix not being successful in their attempt to buy a championship. Kevin Durant wanted to go to the Nets, and he wanted to start his own empire. It didn't work out there with Kyrie Irving. And James Harden decided to jet out of there to the 76ers, and look what he has become. Nothing either. The third so, option in the playoffs. Yeah, you look at the Golden State Warriors. Yes, they drafted their players, but two of their championships they bought too. They brought Kevin Durant in there. And when they did that with Kevin Durant, who was the best player on our team? It wasn't Steph Curry. It was Kevin Durant. They didn't trade for him. It was an offseason Yes, move. it was a signing, and Draymond Green talked him in at the Hamptons. They didn't really need him. It wasn't, let's go get KD so we can win this. They were winning without him. They were already a team that was on their way. They won without him this past year. And I realized that there was a lot of injuries in the West, and they got hot at the right time. But what Phoenix is doing with the KD move, it just feels different than what Golden State did. All right, before we go, though, let's talk about some NHL futures because it's a good time to, to get some value if you think you can figure out who's finishing strong and you hit a four-team win your division prop, you can get some nice odds on that. Probably 13-1. to 1. Boston's a lock, but the other three are open, right? I'm on the Rangers. Yeah, yeah. the Rangers. Yeah. I said that to you guys a month ago, and then they turned around and they made the move to get Vladdy, which only makes them better. I like the Rangers to come out of the East. The Canes shrink once they get to the playoffs, and I don't quite believe in New Jersey. The West is a hard one because I want to believe in Vegas, but I don't. And I want to believe in Dallas, but I don't. I really think Winnipeg is, is the team coming out of the West. They're getting good goalie play, and they're not allowing a lot of goals, and they're not killing themselves with dumb penalties. So Rangers-Jets is kind of where I'm looking at the future. I, I want so badly to see Edmonton no make it to a cup because they're <laughs> no so way. exciting to watch. They'll find a way for the goalie to mess it up somehow. And the other thing with Winnipeg is they have Dallas's ex-coach that just took him to the cup three years ago. So. I have. 
have Boston this year, and I have Colorado. I think Colorado's going to come out again. They'll get hot at the right time. They're not having a very good season, but they're too talented. At the trade deadline, if they need a goaltender, they'll go after one. I still think Colorado has the talent, and Vegas is dangerous, too. Vegas is playing really, really good hockey, and Vegas loves to make those moves at the trade deadline to really boost up their talent. The Rangers, I still question their defense. I don't care what they did with Vladdy. Vladdy doesn't stay healthy. Is he going to stay healthy all the way into the playoffs? When was the last time that Tarasenko stayed healthy for a full season? That's why he's gone. That's why the Rangers got him for nothing. I don't disagree with you on Colorado, but they lost some role players. Losing Kadri, that mattered. He was a great role player for them, and Kale McCarr's got to get healthy. I don't really think it's their offense that's the problem. I think it's their defense. Their goaltender went out for free agency. They bring in an ex-Ranger. A lot of people were questioning on why they were going that route, but I do believe Colorado will make a move or two at the trade deadline and add a goaltender and help them move forward in their playoff run. So, Colorado, Boston as my Stanley Cup. I'm going to do a Boston Rangers Jets and Edmonton Oilers four team parlay to win. Edmonton Oilers, interesting. They've been there. They know how to get there. And then the Kings cracking and night. If I no, have a team that I'm looking for, having a little bit of past history and knowing how to finish strong is important. I think with the NHL playoffs, it's all about the four lines deep. There are just a few teams that have the four lines that I could say are deep and then have the defensive pairing that you need to take your team to that next level. Looking at the Rangers, I don't think they're four lines deep. I think they're three lines deep. Is that kid line going to do what they did last year in the playoffs? And Lafreniere, he's played better. I don't trust him and Capococco in the important part. As long as they win their division, I cash my ticket. Then I don't worry about the playoffs. Carolina's winning the division. You're dealing with a good chunk of the season, so if you're not two, three points out of that you position, right. you're going to get good odds, right, Wes? You are, and that's where the value is. You're not getting value on Boston, even though everything says they're going to win the whole thing. For the division, that's not bad, though. You don't mind throwing somebody that's minus 180 in a parlay, because the parlay odds offset it, and it's just a filler. You do it with Gonzaga every Saturday night, it seems like. That's it. You parlay it with Gonzaga money line. This dude spent two weeks telling you guys he's betting Chiefs money line with every parlay he makes as a tax. He called it a tax, but technically it's not a tax because he's giving it right back to himself unless he's Robin Hood and King Arthur. 40-something plays. Come on. That's just amazing. Wes is the money man. I think cryptos will take off again by the end of this year. The bulls, the cycle is four years. Mm-hmm. So the end of this year is going to start the next bull. Bitcoin is sitting in a range and it's going to stay there for a little while. It's sitting between 20 and 24. The second it sniffs 25, it's like a magnet. It goes right back down to 23. When Bitcoin shoots up, jump on hut mining. It's a stock. Every time Bitcoin goes up, hut mining goes up. I'm pretty excited, but again, when you spend the day cashing tickets at the racetrack in New Orleans. Listen to this guy. It's a good day. 85 to 1 exact. What do you got to do in sports betting to get 85 to 1? It's the best. There's nothing like the horses. It is the greatest. In 1 minute and 37 seconds, you're cashing 85 to 1. My greatest <laughs> horse racing story is involves a pick four, but what happened is my horse lost the very first race. Les has a guy on his Discord page that does pick six. It's like they're nothing, man. I figured if I can hit a daily double, I'm happy, and if I get a pick three, I'm good. Every so and I'll throw a pick four, and so you got to hit every race four in a row. My horse loses the first race, so I'm out of it, but it turns out the inquiry sign goes on, and what happened is I'm watching my horse. I'm really not watching the horse that's winning. The jockey in front of us saddle broke, and he's sliding and holding on to the neck, and the 
rules state if you're not in control of your horse at the finish line, you're disqualified. They bumped my horse up. I hit a $6,000 pick four, went to Pittsburgh for my brother's renewal, and rented out the top floor of a strip club for 600 bucks. Because <laughs> back then, 600 bucks in Pittsburgh was a lot of money. We were playing golf. That's ball. So you walk into a bar and you rotate whose turn it is to call the drink, and everybody's got to drink what that guy drinks. You can pass one time. There's the street in Pittsburgh where all the bars are. 40 bars on each side. And then we made it eight holes and we were sloshed. That's the way we went to the strip club. All right, all gentlemen. Right, boys. Thank you very much. Always be cash. Always be cash. Money, line, mania, ladies and gentlemen. They're fantastic. Wes, Chaz. Wes is the Kansas City man. They made himself a lot of money. Congratulations to him as I watched myself throw up when the Super Bowl was over. But thank you, Wes. When we come back, we have some NHL as Patrick Kane is willing to waive his no-movement clause for the Rangers of the Maple Leafs, not interested in coming to the Islanders. Lots to get into when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. It's Speedy Petey time. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our stories. Kyle Williams, outstanding Jamaican writer. He is fantastic. Fantastic. Go check out his stories. Go check out all our stories on the Worldwide Sports Radio website. Check out all our shows, including the Sports Lab Mouse. Three hours every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Definitely tune in every week. Patrick Kane is the talk of New York hockey. Why, I don't understand. About a week ago... The New York Rangers had Vladimir Tarasenko, and this man, Patrick Kane, had a complete breakout of craziness throughout the press, stating that he was very upset that it wasn't him. It was Vladimir Tarasenko. He wanted so badly to go to New York and Madison Square Garden and help the New York Rangers win a Stanley Cup. And now the stories coming out of Chicago is Patrick Kane is willing to waive his no-movement clause for the Rangers and the Maple Leafs and not the New York Islanders. So including yours truly and every Islander fan that probably wanted Patrick Kane to decide that he wants to be an Islander, he came out and said that he doesn't want to be one. He has control of where he wants to go. And Chicago is asking for a big package. Being that this is his final year, it's going to probably be pushed off to the trade deadline. Chicago's going to have to take whatever is given to him. It doesn't matter who it is. The fact is, Patrick will not be there next year on their roster. Now, if the Chicago Blackhawks take half the contract for the rest of the season and trade him to the Rangers and the Maple Leafs, right now the Maple Leafs are over the cap. That includes players on IR, too. And the Rangers are only a million dollars under the cap. Both teams are going to have to ask Chicago to take some of the contract. Where Patrick Kane is probably going to land, and my prediction from the beginning, was the New York Rangers. Yeah, the Rangers are definitely going to have to make something financially work. Now, is it going to be worth it to add more wingers, more offense that they already have a lot of depth in already is going to be another question. Obviously, Patrick Kane's a superstar player in his prime, but he's had a kind of down year this year. Only 35 points this year, 9 goals, playing for a bad team, but still. But again, they're going to have to trade off some other assets to another team maybe to make it work. 
get a third team involved. And are they going to want to do that with their line depth or their defense depth? They're going to have to get $5 million to make it work and hopefully have Chicago pay off half that contract, which is going to be $5.25 million. And for the Rangers, I think it makes a lot more sense to just target more depth like they did last year. They got the big fish with Tarasenko now. If they end up getting Kane for less and they can make it work, I'm not going to be mad, but I don't know how realistic it'll be considering the circumstances. There are other teams that are interested in him too that we've heard. Patrick Kane has not come out and said that he wouldn't want to be traded there. Vegas was one of them. Minnesota, which is going to be hard because it's in division. The Hurricanes and Buffalo. And Buffalo makes a lot of sense considering they have a lot of money. He's not going to Buffalo, especially with everything that happened in the past when he was accused doing what he did in the offseason in Buffalo when he didn't. So I don't see him going to Buffalo. I think it's either the Rangers or the Maple Leafs. They're just going to have to make it work. If the Maple Leafs decide that they want Patrick Kane, they're just going to have to give Chicago something where they can take most of the contract on and trade Patrick Kane. What team is willing to give up a piece or two that can land him Patrick Kane? I think it's going to be the Rangers. I think the Rangers need offensive help on their fourth line. They can move some of their offensive players, maybe one of the youngsters, to that fourth line and put Patrick Kane on that youth line with Kako or one of those guys. And having Patrick Kane as a depth piece going into the playoffs. By the way, Patrick Kane is a fantastic playoff player. Great skating ability and all the different things that he could do, especially on the second power play. So I think Patrick Kane will be a Ranger. When push comes to shove, Chicago wants to get something for him. They're not just going to go into the offseason and lose him for nothing. They're going to look at it and say, we got to get what we got to get for. And if we have to take on most of the contract, it's only going to be half the season. It's not going to benefit us not to take it. It'll only benefit us if we do take it. And the Rangers have all this time to figure it out, so too. Even going back to the offseason, they were favorites at the time for Patrick Kane. Now they got Tarasenko, too. How does that factor in? will be another question, but they have all the time to figure it out since he announced it now. And that's obviously going to drop some of the value if the value wasn't already shot for Chicago. Expect it. It's either the Rangers and the Maple Leafs because he has a no-movement clause. Right. So he has to decide on where he wants to go. And if those are the only teams he wants to go to, it really puts Chicago in a position where they're going to just have to negotiate with one of those teams and send him where he wants to go. It seems like those are the two teams that have the best chance to get him. As far as the Islanders are concerned, the Islanders need to figure something out. Lambert called for a special practice the other day. He was trying to get the troops uh, fired up. I heard he was doing a lot of yelling. Yesterday, coming back from that Pittsburgh Penguins game was fantastic, but they need to start winning now. And Lou Lamorello already came out and said that in the next seven games, and that was like four games ago, I am going to make a decision if we're buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. The Islanders are three games in hand with Pittsburgh, four games in hand for Buffalo. Even though Washington right now is ahead of them, they have the same amount of games. The Islanders need to continue winning. Played the Bruins this afternoon. They need to keep winning. And if they don't keep winning, being that they've played more games than all these teams either ahead of them or only two or three points behind them, the Islanders put themselves in a position where even if they start to win, they still have to be looking in front of them or looking behind them. So it's really hard to say if the Islanders are going to be buyers and sellers. If I was Lou Lamorello right now, I'm a seller. We're not winning this year. You have a good goaltender. There are certain games that make me shake my head about some of the bad goals that Sorokin gives up, but you have a great goaltender. Now a pretty good first line. You have a dynamic duo in your first line, finally, at Bo Horvat and Barzell. It looks like they're going to be good together for a long, long time. You have Brock Nelson, if you want to keep him as your second line center. And Andrews Lee, that line has played very well. Paul Mary, the defenseman that you want to keep. You want to keep Dobson. You want to keep Pellick. You might be able to move Pulak for something. Mayfield, you could trade him. You like Sal 
Gallo. You like Aho? You have to resign Aho. They're going to have to figure out what's going on with Romanoff. He has not looked good the last 15, 16 games. But their third and fourth line, they could trade Parisi. They need to get rid of Bailey. You could get something for Sezikis. Matty Martin, he's a mean player. You could trade him to a team that needs one of those players for their third or fourth line for the playoffs. You can move all these pieces and then go into the offseason next year. You'll have money. And then you go and bring in a Timo Meyer or somebody like that. You bring in two or three players in free agency and bring up some of your youngsters. That's what I think the Islanders should do. Are they going to do that? Probably not. Lou is 80 years old and he's trying to win. And he thinks he could still win. I think this could be a one and done for Lambert. I think he's lost the team. He's lost the locker room. I think these players, after losing Barry Trotz, don't believe in the same team culture that they had with Barry Trotz in Lambert. I'm not saying Lane Lambert couldn't be a good coach. I just think he's coaching the wrong team in the New York Islanders. The Islanders are put in a position being in such a hard division like the Metropolitan Division where you really have to play good all season long to sneak into the playoffs if you're not a top two, top three seed. I just don't think it's their year. You asked the question of whether the Islanders should be buyers or sellers. There might even be a happy medium to that too where let's say they do trade for example Brock Nelson or Pajot, somebody that could get good value. You could trade Pajot. I think a lot of people would take Pajot. Or a combination of that and Scott Mayfield or Varlamov, I mentioned last week, is somebody that you could get good value for. You could still try to do that and then try to make a trade for an offensive player. Maybe not a big-name offensive player, but somebody that still could be a depth goal scorer like Paul Yarvey from the Oilers, who's a good second, third-line goal scorer for them. Lawson Kraus from Arizona, who I think has 18 goals on a really bad team. Like, There's a couple like smaller-scale guys that could get to at least help out their offense for the chance that they still might sneak into the playoffs. Why would you want to sneak into the playoffs no, 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 if not... you can't win? Now, so... you could win, but this defense isn't the same defense with Barry Trotz. And that's how you win championships in the NHL. Goaltending and defense. Their defense hasn't played well. That's one of the reasons why I don't think the Rangers are winning anything either. Because I don't trust their defense in a seven-game series against the powerhouses in the East or the West. Right, but I'm not even saying to trade for somebody old, too. Like, I'm not saying they should go out and trade for, like, a James Van Riemsdyk. The Islanders are not knowing where they're going. A lot of these guys that are still rumored wingers that could be, like, the second or third tier type guys are younger guys, too. Where they could still be a long-term answer as well for depth, offensive depth of the Islanders definitely could still need, especially with all the money that they're going to have to shed if they want to go after somebody bigger in the offseason, because I think that is Lou's plan, and if he wants to have that kind of plan, he's got to start trading, so I think there is a happy medium of where they could go at this trade deadline if they have that kind of approach. When we come back, some NBA, as Kevin Durant says, Kyrie Irving's trade took away the Nets' identity. I think that's a crock. We will get into the Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant clown circus now that one is in Phoenix and the other one's in Dallas, and the New York Knicks go into the All-Star break 33 and 27 as a six seed what are the new york knicks when we come back we will explain what we believe they could be going into the playoffs when we come back here on the weekend crunch we are back ladies and gentlemen this is the weekend crunch i'm your host errol marks my co-host speedy Petey. remember to listen to our show every single saturday from 7 p.m to 9 p.m new york eastern time only on 103.9 the li news radio network brought to you by new york sports team magazine and the world wide sports radio network check out the worldwide sports radio website by going to worldwidesportsradio.com check out all our shows throughout the week they are live including our show which airs every single wednesday at 7 p.m. 
p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. as we have great guests, great content, three-hour show. Call the show and attack us. Tune in every single week for that show. We have Game On that airs on Fridays, The Wise Guys from Cincinnati. There's a lot of different shows that you can check out and the great stories by our writers. I am not a writer, and I'm not going to write much about the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving past clown show because it's no longer a clown show in Brooklyn or New York. It's now a clown show in two separate areas as we saw Kevin Durant get traded to the Phoenix Suns and Kyrie Irving getting traded to the Dallas Mavericks. Both teams are ecstatic to get both players, world-renowned talents. Kyrie Irving, I believe, is the best point guard in the NBA with talent-wise, just not mouth-wise. Kevin Durant, to me, is one of the top five players in the NBA. And for the amount of nothing that the Suns gave the Brooklyn Nets, they got a steal in Kevin Durant. But Kevin Durant said something this week that just makes me shake my head. It just shows me how stupid Kevin Durant has been ever since he decided to walk away from the Golden State. State Warriors. Kevin Durant said that Kyrie Irving trade took away the Nets' identity. I was upset we couldn't finish. Couldn't finish what? Did you really think you were going to win a championship with Kyrie Irving? Your buddy, James Harden, which by the way, the organization traded away their future for, they're going to regret doing that, aka Billy King, aka the Boston Celtics. To sit here and say that we could have done something special, we could have finished and won a championship here in Brooklyn. Kevin, you never won a championship in OKC. You had Russell Westbrook and James Harden. They were great players. Then James Harden obviously went to Houston. You still had Russell Westbrook. You couldn't get over the hump. You couldn't get into the finals. You couldn't beat Golden State. Then you go to Golden State. You win two titles. You win two MVPs. And then you decide to leave because you didn't want to be looked at as the second guy, even though you were the best guy on the team. You go to the Nets and you created a clown show. Your good friend James Harden, he really figured it out pretty quick that he didn't want to be there. He jetted out of there. He went to the team that he really wanted to go to is the 76ers. And then the whole craziness with Kyrie Irving. How many coaches needed to be fired before the Nets decided that Kyrie Irving wasn't the guy? He wasn't the guy you wanted to build your organization around. Atkinson, gone. Nash, gone. Two coaches, gone in a four-year span. That had nothing to do with Kevin Durant, but Kevin Durant's never going to come out and blame Kyrie Irving for it. Kyrie Irving has been a joke off the court with his anti-Semitic views, by his geography of thinking that the earth is flat, his stupidity with everything that's come out of his mouth. I respect his thoughts with COVID, but the way he did it, the way he was pushing it was despicable. Everything Kyrie Irving has ever done when it comes to off the court has been selfish, disrespectful, and shows you why I wouldn't pay Kyrie Irving a super contract, which would pay him almost $250 million. Yeah, I'm with you. I would not think the Nets would have finished this year anyway, because I still had them, even when they were playing well, fourth or fifth in the East. And I wouldn't have trusted them with the Celtics, the Bucks, or the Cavs going against them in the playoffs with not a lot of depth. Yeah, their defense has improved, but still not great. And it's an interim coach. I know the Celtics have an interim coach that has done well, finally got a new contract, but still, that doesn't happen all the time. And also, 
also, which Kyrie Irving are you going to get? Is Kevin Durant going to stay healthy? There's just too many other unknown factors. So, yes, I know it might have shell-shocked you that he demanded a trade the way he did, but you could have expected that. You and Kyrie Irving were both disgruntled with the Nets front office in the offseason as it was. So, the fact that you were saying it like that it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't think they would have finished it. Well, are you right about some of the things that Kyrie Irving might have done there and maybe he's implying? Yeah, probably. He's crazy. Kyrie Irving off the court, he's a lunatic. But still, the way you're saying it like that, that the Nets would have guaranteed to win a championship, I don't buy that for a second. You're going to a team that's a lot better in the Suns. They have a much better shot at winning a championship. My finals pick at the start of the year against the Bucks, and that finals definitely could happen at this point. I think it will happen. Yeah. Unless Denver pulls it out, and I think they could because they're a very good defensive team, and they have the firepower to stay in the games with Phoenix, and they have depth. I still think Phoenix has the most talent. The best front five in the NBA. You have three all-stars on one starting lineup. And DeAndre Ayton was an all-star, too, so really you have four. But going back to Durant's statement, think about his career trajectory. His two championships were won in Golden State, where he had so much talent around him, too. And Kevin Durant has never been the consistent playoff performer when he was the focal point that was getting all the attention. Yeah, he made the finals in OKC, did great in that year, but Russell Westbrook, he was good, but he wasn't like Russell Westbrook elite yet at that point in his career. And same kind of thing with James Harden. He was mostly a six-man on that Thunder team. He won a six-man of the year. Very good team, but it wasn't what the Golden State Warriors were, and it's not what the Suns are either. Chris Paul is still a very good point guard at 38 years old. Devin Booker is one of the best shooters in the league, and DeAndre Ayton is one of the better centers in the league. So combine that with the fact that Kevin Durant thought he had a better shot at winning with the Nets, no. Kyrie Irving trade did not change the identity. It still would have been a tough road in that Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference has too much depth. It's so much better than the West. The clown circus will continue as Ben Simmons becomes the real <laughs> Ringling Circus Bonham and Bailey's. By the way, he has looked horrible as he became the number one option. And for anybody to think that he was going to change his old ways and start hitting shots from the outside, I, I don't know what you thought because he's not that good. I wonder how long it'll take for his free throw percentage get above 40%. Horrible. <laughs> As the New York Knicks move into the All-Star break, 33-27, and 27, they're the number six seed in the Eastern Conference. If you're a Knicks fan, you should be very excited. Adding a guy like Josh Hart, and he has been a big factor ever since he's been traded for the first three games that he's been a Knick. He's played a big part. And they're 3-0 and since they brought Josh Hart in. That says a lot. He plays defense. He defends multiple positions. Yes, Quentin Grimes lost his starting job, but he lost it to a better player right now. And they have the depth. And Quentin Grimes will be the second option at that guard position. The New York Knicks might have the most depth we've seen them have in probably 20 years. They have a tremendous amount of depth. I believe a superstar point guard who should be in the All-Star game. I have no idea how he didn't make the All-Star team. Because it's a popularity contest. <laughs> Averages 23 points. It's the most he's ever averaged. 30 points a game in eight straight games. Most in the NBA by a point guard this year. He's had a fantastic year. He plays a big part on whatever the Knicks are going to do going into the playoffs. It's amazing how one player, one point guard could change the value of what this team is. As a matter of fact, Julius Randle's a better player ever since Jalen Brunson has come to this team. Now, does that mean that the Knicks shouldn't trade Julius Randle? I think you're out of your mind if you don't think that the Knicks yeah. shouldn't trade him in the offseason. But now they have to move forward and see if they can make a run with the team that they have. But Josh Hart was a good addition. When you look at the Knicks, 
and Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau has had a good year, but is he the guy? Is he the guy you want to move forward with with some of the young players? I don't know, but a real fun year to watch the New York Knicks play, and it could be even more fun going into the playoffs. And you look at a move like Josh Hart, too. This is a guy that creates good team culture everywhere he's gone. When he started with the Lakers, when he was a rookie, he was one of the better rookies. He outplayed Lonzo Ball his rookie year. That's how good Josh Hart has been there. Then the Pelicans, they made the playoffs his first year there, too, and was good for the Blazers last year, even in a year where they were not good as a team. And it seems like everywhere he's gone, he's had a positive impact. And I think that's why he ends up starting right away, because he makes Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson better than R.J. Barrett to it. They're all striving around Jalen Brunson. He's been the best Nick consistently this year, scoring prolifically too, which was never his game before that. And Julius Randle, while he still has had issues with efficiency, has gotten better the last 10 or so games with his three-point shooting efficiency. Free throws, he's still got to get a little better, but it's definitely creating a good culture thing for the Knicks. And even if Quentin Grimes doesn't get the quote-unquote starting job, at least if he still gets good minutes, I think it'll still be helpful for where the Knicks are going, because the Knicks have a lot of wing depth right now. Now, they have to get Mitchell Robinson back to get their inside game healthy when it comes to the playoffs, because their inside defense has definitely regressed badly since he's gone and hurt. Isaiah Hartenstein's really not that type of guy. Obi Toppin's a good defender, but again, he's kind of undersized for that kind of position. The Knicks are going to have to get that going if they want to go against Milwaukee or Cleveland or teams like that that have size in the playoffs. Absolutely. Mitchell Robinson plays a big key on wherever the New York Knicks go into the playoffs. He's one of the better defensive players at his position in the league, and he's a great rebounder Mm -hmm. and has great size. So the Knicks need Mitchell back as quick as possible. It looks like it could be soon. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, some MLB conversation. Frankie Montas could be out for the whole season undergoing shoulder surgery. Where do the Yankees go after losing Frankie Montas for a full season? And Speedy, when we come back, what do we got? K-Wrench time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. Are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows, which are live throughout the week, including our show, The Sports Loud Mouths, which airs every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great, great content, three-hour shows, great guests, crazy callers. So check out our show every single week. Before we get into crunch time, not many things going on in the MLB. Pitchers and catchers are starting right now. Down in Florida, the Yankees, the Mets, the Texas Rangers. We'll get into that as every Met fan are just smiling right now because Jacob DeGrom is hurt again. But Frankie Montas, who I, going into the offseason and making that move for Rodon, I thought the Yankees had the best pitching staff in baseball. And even losing Frankie Montas for a whole season, and it's not going to be a full season. Some people believe it's going to be most of the season. He might not be back until August. But even if they lose him for a full season, they have Domingo Herman. He's a great player. He's a good pitcher. He's a good fifth starter. If Herman gives you 10 to 12 wins, it's a win-win for the Yankees. The Yankees still have the best pitching staff in baseball. As long as Garrett Cole, Rodon, Cortez and Savarino stay healthy this year. They're in a good position. But losing Frankie Montas, trading away three pitching prospects, two really good pitching prospects in Sears and Waldachuk. When you look at the Yankees, if this completely smacks them in the face, this was a bad trade for the Yankees. They have to hope 
that this shoulder surgery will get Frankie Montas back to what he was with the Oakland Athletics when he was a dominant force, when he was sixth in the Cy Young conversation a couple of years ago. I always talk about the Mets having trouble with injury management. The Yankees, they've started to have a little bit of it recently with their pitchers, too. Especially with the younger pitchers, where they haven't been able to take that next step because of that. You saw that with Luis Severino, especially. You've seen it with some of the veterans they've brought in in trades, too, that have a lot of injury issues coming in. And maybe that's something they should have addressed last season when it came to Frankie Montes struggling the way he did. I know he had the family issue in August, but still, he was still struggling even after that, too. He had the one good start against the Mets, and that was really it. So that was something that maybe they should have addressed then, get the surgery now, so they could have played him played it more because he really wasn't a big factor in the playoffs because of that as it is they're kind of using him as a decoy which is hard to do for an individual pitcher it doesn't make a lot of sense as far as Jacob DeGrom and I know a lot of Met fans are probably smiling right now we bring in Justin Verlander he was a Cy Young winner last year and Jacob DeGrom who was the face of the New York Mets for seven years probably the best pitcher in baseball for the last six years he goes to Texas gets a, a pretty good nifty contract he didn't want to resign with with the Mets. He already came out and said that he would rather go down south and play in Texas, throwing the ball, having pitching practice, and then he said he was feeling some pulling in his lat. I'm sure he's going to go in for an MRI and see what's wrong. I do believe that Jacob DeGrom will start the season not on the IL. And I don't know why any Met fan would be hoping that he was. You do not wish anything bad ill will to a player that decided he didn't want to play for your team. You brought in Justin Verlander, yes, a senior citizen. Max Scherzer, another senior citizen who has one more year left on his contract, who couldn't stay healthy last year. Quintana, another senior citizen. Not as bad as those two, but pretty bad. He's a good pitcher. He's an efficient pitcher everywhere he's gone. But he is a senior citizen. This pitching staff has to stay healthy. Buck cannot overthrow these guys this year because if you put this team in a bad position with their starting rotation they're going to play catch me up in a division that's too talented with the Braves and Philadelphia in the same division as you guys it'll be interesting to see what Buck is going to do with Verlander Scherzer and then Katana it's going to be Interesting how he is going to protect these pitchers, how many innings he's going to pitch for these three older pitchers, and they have to move forward. And they have some good young pitching prospects in their farm system that they'll probably call up and see if uh, they have something with them. Peterson will be back this year, right? Yeah, and he's going to have to have a bigger role, yes. too, on this team because the Mets, they traded for Brooks Raley in the offseason, but they he still have a lot of He looked good until he got hurt. I know. I like him because he's versatile. He could be a stretch reliever or he could be a starter. He's not going to go a lot of innings as a starter, but very good with strikeouts. He was good in terms of of tough situations at certain points. When he was bad, he was bad. But like he was, he was always somebody that was reliable in those tougher situations. And they're going to need somebody like that. And same kind of thing with McGill, who had a very hot start to the season before he got hurt and then never really recovered after that. Those younger pitchers are going to be very key because if Buck Showalter wears out Scherzer like he did last season and Verlander, who's been worn out in the past, it's not going to bode well for the Mets. All right, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! It's time for Crunch Time! All right, we'll start crunch time in the NBA. Both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving now in the Western Conference. Buy or sell. Both the Mavericks and the Suns, their new teams, will be in the second round of the playoffs at least. I buy it. I think both teams are very, very talented. Luka Doncic is one of the most talented players in the league if he's healthy. And Kyrie Irving, if he just keeps his mouth shut, this team will definitely make the second round. There's no question. They were in the the Western Conference Finals last year without Kyrie Irving. They did have Jalen Brunson. 
But Kyrie Irving's a better point guard in my eyes. But I absolutely believe that. And Phoenix, no question with the talent that they have. Booker and Paul and Ayton. And then, obviously, the great Kevin Durant. I don't see them not making to the second round. I'm going to sell that one because I just don't know if I trust the Mavericks' depth. I know it didn't affect them last year. They still made it all the way to the Western Conference Final, but I can't see like a team like the Suns, the way they choked last year, doing it again. I still like the Grizzlies a lot. The Suns and the Nuggets, like you said earlier, are going to be impactful teams. I just don't know if I could trust the depth two years in a row. And I don't think Kyrie Irving is going to keep his mouth shut like you said you need him to. So I am going to sell that one. All right, by herself, Vladimir Tarasenko, who had 10 goals before he got traded to the Rangers, already has one already, will score 10 goals as a Ranger, needs nine in the last 27 games. I buy it. I think he will. He he will definitely have at least 20 goals this year. Uh, It's not a Tarasenko year, but it's enough to say that you brought in a player that's going to give you the offense that you were looking for on the first line at the wing position. So I buy it. I'm going to buy it too because I do think he's getting good chemistry right away with these top line guys. He's going to be first or second line rotating between the two. I think the Rangers have too much talent. So it's only a matter of if he stays healthy. But if he stays healthy, I think he definitely does that. I will buy it. All right, let's go to football. Buy or sell. And ex-Jet might get another coaching job. Rex Ryan, favorite to be the Broncos DC. Buy or sell, he'll get it. I buy it. When you hear Rex Ryan in the news and you, you hear that he is the lead guy to get it, which means Sean Payton wants to bring the most dominant force at that defensive coordinator job after losing Chubb at the trade deadline. I think you bring somebody like that to help this defense out, this defensive line that ever since they lost Chubb was missing something in the second half. I expect it. I think it's going to happen. I'm buying it. I'll buy it too, yeah, because you need that type of coordinator with the weaknesses the Broncos have on their defense. They need some help with their edge rushes. With Rex Ryan's blitz passages will help that a lot. Corner depth, that Sertan's great, but after that, they don't have much, and Rex Ryan's always been good with that with the Jets too. So I think it's a perfect fit. I will buy it as well. All right, buy or sell. The Mets will give Pete Alonso an extension before the season starts. Oh, I sell it. I don't think it's going to happen. They're going to wait until the offseason, and I don't see Pete wanting to negotiate a deal in the middle of the season. But Pete's not one of those guys that's going to complain. He'll play the game. He's a big baseball fan. He is a Met for life. I believe it. And the Mets will give him the contract that he wants after the season when he hits another 40 home runs. So I am going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too because for that reason. I don't think he's that selfish type of guy that's going to hinder the Mets in terms of the team distractions. He's a great team culture guy, and I don't think they're going to do that right away. And again, he's going to want a lot of money. He's not going to have to prove himself necessarily with everything, but he's definitely going to want to build on that He's a $250 million player. Oh, absolutely. No question. And I don't think he has to build himself with his hitting, but I, I think the team culture-wise, he's not that type of guy. So I'm going to sell that as well. All right, buy or sell. The Knicks will still finish top five in the Eastern Conference, even though they did not trade for Zach Levine. I'm going to buy it. I don't trust the Nets, and I don't know what the Cavs are going to be as the season progressively moves forward with the twenty, the last 20 games. I think the Knicks are a lot better with, uh, with Hart. And when Mitchell Robinson comes back and their schedule gets a little bit easier in the last five to six games, I think they could absolutely be a fifth seed, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I mean, the Nets obviously are going to lose the spot because they have nobody else left, and I still trust the Knicks a little more than Miami right now. One, to stay healthy, and two, just to be able to have more productive I don't think the Cavs are going to sit there either. I think the Cavs will be fine. I think they've had issues closing out games, but I think they're going to still be fine for the four seed. I think they're still a little, a, little, a little ahead of the Knicks right now, especially with their defense, but I think the Knicks will definitely get the five. I trust them a little more than Miami, so I, I will buy that one. All right. Buy or sell. The Islanders will make another trade for a player not named Timo Meyer. I think they're going to be sellers, so I'm going to sell that. I don't think they're going to be buyers. They have to be on a run like the Rangers. In the next four games, they're going to have to win the next four games for them to be buyers. But right now, I'm going to sell it because 
I don't know if they're that good right now. I just don't know what this team is all about. The chemistry is blah, and I don't know if this coach understands what this team's strengths are and what this team's weaknesses are. So I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy it. I think it'll happen more towards the end of the deadline, but I definitely can see a younger type winger. I don't think it'll be a big name, but a younger type forward because Lou Lamarell does know he needs those types of players. And I do think they will end up trading one of the other bigger contracts and making that money work and then make that big splash in the offseason for a bigger player once they get the money. But I do think there will be one more because I think that Lou is not going to give up right away. They're still going to be right on that borderline. All right, last one. Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr will be a New York Jet within the next two weeks. You know my answer to this. By March 15th, the Jets will have either Derek Carr under contract or Aaron Rodgers. Is that two weeks? No. So I'm going to sell that. But by March 15th, Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers will be a New York Jet. Book it. Take it. Sell it. Do whatever you want. Eat dog poo, which uh, (laughs) our friend Jeff is going to do after I told him that one of these two guys will be the next New York Jet quarterback. So... I am going to sell that, but by March 15th, one of these guys will be the quarterback for the New York Jets. Yep, 100% agree. I think Derek Carr will still drag out the process. He's going to meet with some other teams, the Panthers, the Buccaneers, and a couple other teams. And Aaron Rodgers, you know the Packers are going to drag the process of out forever. So the 15th. Them. And I do think it'll end up being that, but I do agree with you. I think one of them definitely is going to end up being it. I think it's more likely that it's Carr, but I do I won't rule out Rodgers I think Rogers the trade either. deadline opens up on the 15th. I think one of them definitely is going to be a Jet. I can't see them, one, both of them, trying to shy away from what the Jet situation is like. I think it's the 15th where I, I see the Jets either getting Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr. I'll sell that it's two weeks. You're going to know in the next week, week and a half, and I think you'll know because Aaron Rodgers will be sitting down with Green Bay it's not going to work over there, and then you know what the what the Jets are going to do. They're going to go all in on Aaron Rodgers. If they strike out on him, Derek Carr will be a New York Jet. Take it and sell it. Yep. Take it to the books, baby. Yep. Anyways, great show. Thank you to our friend, Eagles and Philly Spanish language broadcaster Oscar Budahan for joining us. He was fantastic. Thank you to all the fans that listen to us on 103.9 FM. Thank you to Moneyline Mania Wes, who's out of his mind thinking that the Rangers are going to the Stanley Cup. I think he's crazy. And the Warriors repeating as champions. So well, by, the way, by the way, he's going to lose that. There's no question the Warriors are not winning the NBA title. But whatever. That's two bets that I'm going to win. But thank you to Wes. Thank you to Chaz. Moneyline Mania, the best handicappers in the country. If you haven't listened to this segment, well, guys, you have have to listen to it. They are winners. Wes had 41 picks for the Super Bowl and was on all of them. This guy knows how to win. He knows how to bet. You should be listening to their segment every single show. I will not be back next week. We will have somebody named Josh Silverberg filling in for me with Speedy Petey, but I will be back from Toronto the week after. But enjoy your week, guys. It's going to get a little bit colder, which I, I'm, I'm looking forward to. But I'll be in Toronto where it'll be a little bit more colder. Have a good week. Uh, we will be doing a show on Monday, a four-hour show for the Sports Loudmouths. Check us out. Go to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. It is a great show. We're going to have uh, who? On this week's at uh, ten o'clock on Monday, it'll be Chris Gronkowski, brother of Rob Gronkowski, who also played in the NFL as well for the Patriots and the Steelers. So there you go, guys. We have a Gronk coming on. So uh, definitely tune in. It'll be funny. It'll be crazy, and maybe soon we'll have Rob Gronkowski joining us. So we'll see. But thank you to all the fans. Keep listening. Good night.